0: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to circle back and respond to the abortionist argument that a baby doesn't become a human being until it draws its first breath. This is an asinine argument. It's unscientific, it's unbiblical, it's irrational, it literally is insane because it denies reality. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to today's Rebellion. Thanks for listening into the show. Today's topic is abortion once again. Right to choose or right to life. These are two different ideas that divide our country. Some people will argue that it's a 50-50 split, that half of the people believe that it's okay, to kill your child and half of the people say no this is a moral evil that it's wrong in any situation but when you really dig into the data it's not that clear when people start understanding what it is that they're actually doing they become less and less comfortable with abortion and then they start backing it down they say no not in the third trimester because the fetus quote unquote is viable it could survive outside the mother At that point, those people are actually admitting that this thing that they've been calling uh, biological mass uh, just a lump of matter, this thing that they were defining as something other than human, has all of the sudden become viable, quote-unquote, and that it must be human, and therefore it's wrong, immoral, and it should be illegal to terminate it, to kill it, to kill that little boy or girl many people become very uncomfortable in the third trimester. Now, as science has evolved and improved over the years, since 1973 in the Roe v. Wade decision, we have ultrasound technology that allows us to actually go in and look at the baby as it's moving, as it's developing, at various different stages of gestation. And now we know that the baby has fingers and toes that the baby has a beating heart in just a few weeks after conception, that it has a functioning brain, as I've said before in a couple previous shows, that it responds to light, it hears the mother's voice and reacts accordingly, that it feels pain and recoils from it. And as we see this as in real time, as we actually watch the baby doing these things at 14 weeks, 15 weeks, 16 weeks of gestation, it's very hard, it's very difficult to conclude that this is not a human being. I mean, if it walks like a duck, it's a duck, right? I mean, if it has fingers and toes, if it has functioning ears and eyes and a mouth and a nose, if it has a functioning brain, if it has a spine, if it, had, if it has kidneys and a liver and a beating heart, If it's moving and reacting to light and pain, then how in the world can you conclude that this is anything but a human being? Therefore, we have the Dobbs case, because many people, whether they're Christian or not, religious or secularists, have to admit that scientifically, this is a human being. I mean, how could you conclude anything other than that if you're actually attending to the empirical facts? Excuse me. If you're actually looking for the evidence, the empirical evidence of what this is, how can you conclude that it is not a living, functioning human being? Oh, sure, it still depends on the mother for sustenance. It has to eat through the umbilical cord, and it has to breathe through the umbilical cord. Here's the thing that all of these people... Are missing These people that are claiming that this baby doesn't become human until it draws its first breath. The baby is taking in oxygen throughout the course of the gestation process. How does it do that? Through the umbilical cord. It brings in oxygen through the umbilical cord, and it actually starts breathing, per se, while it is in the womb. It has a swallowing action that actually draws oxygen into the lungs and helps them develop so that at the point of birth, these lungs are ready to transition and actually be severed from the mother's sustenance and source of air and take it in themselves. Fascinating, isn't it? Now, many of us, if not all of us, knew that. You knew that the baby had to be sustained somehow and draw oxygen into its body somehow. And how is what I describe to you right now any different than a amphibian, a tadpole, for example, that is born with gills drawing oxygen from the water and then develops quite quickly and starts getting oxygen directly from the air via the use of its lungs. I'd like to talk a little bit further about this and this ongoing argument from the abortionists that's all over the place right now. They think that they're trumping, us with their, well, a baby doesn't become a human being until it takes its first breath because of Genesis 2 7, where we are told that God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and it was then that the man became a living being. Unquote. Well, isn't that clear? He didn't become a human being, a living being, until God breathed into his nostrils, and therefore a baby doesn't become a living being, a human being, until it draws its first breath. Isn't it clear? These people think that this is the end of the story. The same people that laugh and mock our scriptures and our Bible at every turn are now using Genesis 2-7 as a trump card to try to silence conservative Christians who are arguing for the dignity of life, and even secularists who believe that a baby, a baby, a human baby, is a human being. Regardless of, regardless of its location and regardless of how old it is, that even at 15 weeks, this thing that has arms and toes, fingers, eyes and ears, and a nose, this thing that recognizes light and recoils from pain and responds to its mother's voice, this thing that has a beating heart and a functioning brain, Even secularists that say, well, this is obviously human, even they recognize that this this trump card of Genesis 2-7 is garbage. I'm going to explain to you why again today in a little bit more detail. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Alright, obviously the topic today is abortion. Pro-life, pro-choice, if you want to look at it that way. The divide in our culture, some would argue it's 50-50. If you look at the data, and as people become more and more knowledgeable of what abortion actually does to a living, moving, functioning thing that has a heartbeat and a functioning brain, fingers, toes, nose, and ears, eyes, and lungs and couldn't live and continue to sustain itself if it did not draw oxygen into its body with those lungs. Yes, it does so through the umbilical cord of its mother, but it still, it still draws in oxygen. It couldn't live, it couldn't continue to be what it is without doing so. Much like a tadpole, when it's born, when it's hatched from the egg, draws oxygen in through its gills via water, but quickly develops lungs that have to start maturing. And through that maturation process, it transitions from gills to lungs. It transitions from drawing oxygen into its body one way, and then ultimately starts drawing oxygen into its body another way. All right. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that I don't think any of those folks out there that argue that a human baby is not a human being until it draws its first breath post-birth would look at tadpoles swimming in the pond in your backyard and say those aren't living. That's not a living thing. That's not a living organism. It's just a biological mass that you can crush and you can exterminate with no consequences. No, The same people that are arguing for the extermination of the baby would argue as environmentalists that it is wrong, absolutely wrong, a moral evil to exterminate all tadpoles from the face of the earth because that would be a sin against the earth. It would be a green sin, if you will. Make sense? Well, that's where we are in the debate in our culture right now. Now, I want to take you to a... An article that was written just a couple years ago. It was actually written in 2019 on a website, on a website that is called Stand to Reason. Now you need to go start following this. You can go to standtoreason.org, or I believe the actual web address is S T r.org str stand to reason.org great website with great apologetics material. There's an author on there who writes who writes on bioethics. His name is Tim Barnett and he wrote this article and I'm going to take excerpts from it uh, and share with you for the rest of the show. He starts out by saying the internet is dangerous. Internet memes can be dangerous. He says they almost always present an idea in a humorous right way, but sadly Those who are unable to think critically confuse comedy with veracity. He's right. These memes that we all put out there are often too simplistic. Uh, It's kind of an I gotcha when you post a meme. Sometimes it mocks. Sometimes it uh, is intended to be good-natured humor. Sometimes it is a pithy truth, but often it's truncated. It doesn't say enough to actually get to the heart of the matter. That's his point, when he says that memes can be dangerous. He says, uh, to make matters worse, these memes are easily shared on social media, so the false idea spreads like a virus infecting minds that lack the knowledge and the training to defend against the meme. So what's his point? He's going to shift into a meme that circulates frequently with regard to abortion and the pro-life division. He says, for example, this last month I have encountered a particular pro-abortion meme on multiple occasions. Here's what the meme says. All right? The meme has a forced birth extremist. Okay? What's a forced birth extremist? I guess it's somebody who believes a baby should uh, be protected by our Constitution, and the baby has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. A human being, the youngest human being, I guess, should be protected by our law. Nobody should have uh, the right to kill it. And if you hold that position like I just described, I guess you're a forced-birth extremist. All right, forced-birth extremist. My religion says you can't have an abortion. And then me, the other person responding to the forced-birth extremist in this meme, your Bible says life begins at the first breath. Clumps of cells don't breathe air in the womb. Genesis 2.7 says this, He breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and it was then that the man became a living being. Okay, that's the, that's the meme. So the forced birth extremist, pro-lifers, whether you be a secularist or a Christian, a Jew or anybody else, if you believe that a baby has the right to be born and should not be killed simply because of its location and its age. You're a forced birth extremist, according to this meme. My religion says you can't have an abortion, we say. And then our opponents respond with this. Your Bible says life begins at first breath. Clumps of cells don't breathe air in the womb. Genesis 2-7 says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and it was then that the man became a living being. Trump card, they think. Ha ha ha. Well, it's supposed to leave the forced birth extremists, people like me, speechless, I guess. But this author, for stand reason, says this: The only thing shocking about this response is how much it misunderstands the Bible and what the Bible actually teaches. There are several reasons that this meme, this truncated, simplistic response, fails. And here's the first one. The pro-life argument isn't that abortion is wrong because my religion says so. The meme, this simplistic response, suggests it's implicit in the post, in the meme, that the only reason abortion is wrong is because our religion says so. The Bible says so. But this author, Mr. Barnett, makes it very clear we can make a biblical argument. Yeah, we can. We can make a biblical argument. However, our primary argument isn't biblical. It's philosophical and it's scientific. The pro-life argument is that it's wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being, and therefore abortion is wrong. And then he says this, notice that I use no Bible verses to make my previous point. And he's absolutely right. It's a philosophical and scientific argument, as he just presented it. The pro-life argument is that it's wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. No Bible verse referenced there, right? Abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being. Again, no Bible verse referenced in that statement, right? Therefore, abortion is wrong. Again, no Bible references. So, he can make his point without quoting the Bible, because he can make his point scientifically and philosophically, logically. He can make an ontological and epistemological claim without actually grounding it in the Bible. He's not saying the Bible is silent on this issue. He's being very clear that he can, he can demonstrate that abortion is wrong, biblically. But he can also do so scientifically, ontologically, philosophically, and epistemologically. He can make his claim, a very good claim, that you shouldn't be killing innocent human beings. So the second reason this uh, truncated, simplistic response, this meme response, this "I gotcha" response that's going around out there uh, from the pro-abortion side of the camp is—is is this? This is the second reason that argument fails. The Bible does not say life begins at the first breath. I covered this yesterday with you, but I'm going to do it again right now. The Bible does not say that life begins at the first breath. It doesn't say that. Whoever created this meme, says the author, needs to read their Bible again. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so tired of people cherry-picking their Bible verses when they don't know what they're talking about. Context is king, and you need to understand what you're reading. You don't just cherry-pick one sentence out of the Bible and claim that, oh, gotcha, when you disparage the Bible at every other turn. You obviously don't believe in the authority of the Bible, and then you use the authority of the Bible to, as your trump card to silence those you disagree with, this makes no sense. It lacks any integrity, and it also lacks knowledge of the very book you're using. So in the Bible, it does say that Adam came to life at first breath. Yes, it does say that in Genesis 2-7. But the author makes a very, very pertinent point here. He says this is descriptive. This is a descriptive statement. It's not a prescriptive statement. In other words, Genesis 2-7 is describing, it's descriptive, it's describing how God created Adam. Okay, He formed him out of the dust of the earth, and then he breathed into him life. He breathed into Adam life. That's descriptive. That's not prescriptive as to how humanity is going to continue to propagate itself. There's nothing prescriptive about this statement. In fact... The author of Genesis is not telling us when all human beings come to life. The Bible doesn't teach that every man comes to life at the first breath anymore than it teaches that every woman comes from the rib of man, which is recorded in Genesis 2, 21 through 22. Excellent point there. We don't believe that every female is derived from the rib of a male, do we? No. Not every little girl that has come into existence since Eve is born of a male's rib. We don't argue that. No Christian has ever argued that. No Jew has ever argued that. We were told in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply, not to go out and breathe life into clumps of dirt not to go out and breathe life into ribs that are taken from other human beings. This passage in Genesis is descriptive as to how God created Adam and Eve. It is not prescriptive in terms of how we are to propagate, be fruitful, and multiply. The third reason this argument fails is that the Bible elevates the status of unborn humans to that of valuable persons. And I read some passages to you yesterday. For example, Psalms 139, and Jeremiah 1.5, and Job 31, and Psalm 22. All of these passages in the Bible imply that the unborn child is a valuable human being. That the unborn, the preborn, this child that is just in a different location with different abilities, in a different developmental stage, is a human being. Never, never in the Bible, is the unborn treated as a clump of cells. Look up the verses. I'll give them to you again if you want to go look them up. Psalm 139, 13 through 6. I'll repeat that. one thirty nine thirteen through 16. I'm sorry. 139, 13 through 16. Jeremiah 1, 5. Job thirty one fifteen, Psalm 22, 10 through 11. These are just a few of the passages that make it very clear that the unborn human being is a human being. It's not a clump of cells. It's not a bunch of dirt. It's not uh, inanimate clay that needs somebody to breathe life into it. No, this is the way God designed. This is the prescriptive way God designed human life so that we would be fruitful and multiply. The other passage that clearly points this out is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 41 through 43. This passage clearly teaches that unborn babies, in the, even in the first trimester, are persons, human beings, and valuable. It says this, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Close quote. So Elizabeth is clearly, clearly pointing out that the baby that she is carrying is aware of the fact that Mary, the mother of of Jesus has entered the womb and that Jesus is there too. There is this recognition, this recognition by the child that is still in the womb of what's going on. The third trimester John, in other words, who was already filled with the Holy Spirit according to Luke 1:15, the third trimester John, leap for joy in the presence of the first trimester Jesus, who was already being called Lord in his first trimester. Now, tell me that's a clump of cells, according to the Bible. This is just a clump of cells. Two clumps of cells that are recognizing one another, uh, being filled by the Holy Spirit, and jumping and leaping for joy. Uh, Again, don't use the Bible if you don't know what you're talking about. So here's the point. The Bible clearly communicates that Jesus and John the Baptist, Jeremiah, David, and others were valuable persons, living human beings, before they ever breathed with their lungs outside of the mother's womb. Here's another point, fourth, the fourth point of why this argument fails. Referring to pro-life advocates as forced-birth extremists is ridiculous rhetoric. Again, this is nothing but a straw man, a a veiled ad hominem. They're mocking us. You're forced-birth extremists. You're an extremist? I I guess I am a forced-birth extremist. If you mean that I don't believe we should be able to interrupt the natural development of an innocent human being by killing him or her, I guess I'm also a forced-breathing extremist if I don't believe we should interrupt the natural development of an innocent human being by suffocating him or her after they're born. This forced-birth-extremist nonsense just needs to be set aside. So the Bible explicitly states, you shall not murder. And that is what we should take home here. You can't take the life of an innocent human being. You just can't do that. And this is a biblical admonition. This is why the Judeo-Christian ethic matters. This is why the 10 commandments matter. This is why we should be teaching them and not disparaging them. We can ta- we can make a biblical argument against abortion. We can. And I've just ran through several verses that would make that point. The Bible does teach that it's wrong to take life of an innocent human being. Abortion takes the life of an innocent human being, and therefore the Bible teaches that abortion is wrong. But again, the main argument that many people are making against abortion doesn't have to rely on quoting the Bible to make the case. And that's why this foolish argument of the left is, well, foolish. And again, Back to the scientific question: Is a tadpole a living thing, or is it just a clump of cells? Well, a tadpole, when it's first hatched, hasn't it hasn't got the lung capacity yet to take in air. But quickly, it starts developing that lung capacity. It actually starts to surface, uh, to go to the surface of, of the water, and breathe in through bubbles. And then lungs continue to develop and and, and, they, and they grow, and then soon the tadpole can actually exit the water. It can exit the water, and it can actually breathe air in directly. It's alive through the entire process. It's a living thing through the entire process. It's taking in oxygen through the entire process. Likewise, so is a developing human baby. At 15, 16, 17 weeks in gestation, it is taking in oxygen Even earlier than that, it's taking in oxygen, not through its fully developed lungs, even though those lungs are developing, it's taking in oxygen through the umbilical core. There are are amphibians out there that actually take in oxygen through their skin. Are they not living, functioning things? To, To make this claim that a baby isn't a baby, it's not human, until it breathes its first breath, is not logical, it's not biblical, it's not rational... Like I said, it's insane because it denies reality. And it's not scientific. It's not scientific because it ignores the fact that there are tons of examples in nature of living things, living animals, living amphibians, living mammals that take oxygen into their body in different ways throughout the course of their developmental process and journey through life. Something something to think about. Something to use as we're defending the lives of the most innocent and helpless among us. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.